Hello everybody and welcome to the Social Impact Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host Leila Ali and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Alex Court. Alex is a digital content producer at the World Economic Forum where he produces and amplifies digital content that engages and informs global leaders and C-suite executives. Previously, Alex worked on digital content at the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR. Today, Alex is going to share some tips and techniques to help you slay in your digital content strategy. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hi, Leila. Thanks so much for having me. Really great to be here. Good to have you. Okay, so Alex, let's begin by you telling us a little bit, bit a little bit about your communication background. Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, so I originally was um, working as a journalist. Um, I worked for CNN and Sky News in in London very much doing uh, digital content creation. Um, and during my time with CNN, I did quite a lot of work on the Ebola crisis, um, focusing very much on uh, countries in West Africa. And through that work, I uh, was connected with many different charit- charity organizations, um, INGOs, um, health organizations, including uh, the UN Refugee Agency. And eventually, I, uh, I got an opportunity to go and work for UNHCR. So that took me from London to Geneva, Switzerland, which is where I currently am. And I worked with UNHCR in the um, global headquarters, uh, which is uh, yeah, here in Geneva, traveling quite a lot, um, getting to work with some really amazing people, getting to understand a lot more about the drivers of, um, of displacement, you know, war and famine, but also uh, natural crises as well. Um, and then after working for UNHCR for about three and a half years, I uh, got the opportunity to work for the World Economic Forum, which is uh, where, I, where I work now. So like you said, yeah, working on all kinds of different content, storytelling content, social media content, video content, all kinds of things. So it's a really exciting time. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about the forum and uh, what that organization does? Absolutely, yeah, the World Economic Forum um, has its headquarters in uh, in Geneva, and they are sort of it, the World Economic Forum is it, it is an international organization, and it's also a business focused organization. So the partners of the World Economic Forum um, are governments um, and world leaders more generally, but also um, CEOs of about eight hundred of the world's biggest businesses, and. Um, as well as that, the World Economic Forum has uh, global communities of young people. There's the uh, Young Global Leaders and the Global Shapers, which are communities which basically bring to b- bring together really, um, you know, visionary and inspiring people from the sort of from the next generation that will become business leaders at some point. And of course, every year um, the World Economic Forum hosts the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in the Swiss mountain resort uh, Davos. And um, that is a really a, a you know world um, agenda setting event, which hosts world leaders and journalists and prominent members from civil society and uh, all kinds of all kinds of world leaders. Um, so that's that's what the World Economic Forum does. So Alex, I don't know whether it's by luck or design, but you've had loads of interesting opportunities to work on comms strategy for high-level events, both for the forum and also in your previous um, job with UNHCR. 
So in your view, what would you say is the secret sauce uh, in building a successful digital strategy for high-level events? Mm, great, great question. Yeah, and I've certainly worked on all kinds of events. Um, and I think, I think what I've learned to do is sort of break, break down any kind of digital strategy into a sort of before, during, and after phases. So I, when, I, when I now come up with uh, sort of digital strategies, I think about it in those sort of three main chunks. I think some things that I've learned, for example, like before an event, you know, you know, the events coming up, critical, critical part of the planning is preparing your mindset, whether you're, you know, welcoming people to the event, sending out the invitations, uh, creating digital content to promote the event. Um, you'll be promoting, maybe you'll promote it, maybe you'll be creating content on the ground, but it's really important to get your mind into that space. And that really does mean a lot about um, you know you're going to be really busy. What are some of the other things that, that are happening in your life that you can you know, make uh, happen or, or delay until after the event? Because you know during that event you need to be focused and in it, uh, really, you know, really in that, that event. So that would be definitely one piece of advice is you know, preparing yourself um, you know, mentally, thinking about what is it that you're going to need to really deliver, be on your A game during that event. And then I think also before the event starts, you've really got a chance to think about messaging and, um, you know, what is it that you want this event to sound like? What do you think, uh, what do you hope that people will remember about this event? And how can you put that into, you know, a, a really um, straightforward and simple messaging document? If you can get it into one page, that's great. What are some of the really top, top level um, really crucial messages that you want to come out of this event. And then also, before an event, make sure that you and your colleagues have a conversation about communications channels. When something is happening, how am I going to know about it? Is it because you're going to email me, you're going to send me a, a WhatsApp or a Teams message or a message on Slack or however you operate, just make it really, really clear that information, which is you know the best, most recent information is going to appear on this channel. So you're not wasting time looking for information when you don't need to. And then I think during the event, it's really important to, um, to make sure that you're prioritizing, making sure that you know that there's cert certain during the event, there are going to be certain, I don't know, speeches or maybe prizes given out or certain news moments. There are going to be people giving a particular speech or during a press conference. How can you prioritize those different, um, those different elements? And I think it's very important to have, you know, a very simple, I don't know, it could be color coordinating or it could just be a simple number system where this uh, press conference is uh, a number one top priority because it's got, I don't know, the president of the United States and the CEO of this massive company. Or it's got the, you know, the, the A-list celebrity or whatever it is. You want to make sure that that number one piece, uh, which is part of the wider event, is prioritized and given all of the, the limelight that it deserves. And then also just make it super clear who is doing what. Uh, this person is covering that press conference. This person is going to be writing up this speech. That person is responsible for filming this particular interview. And if people have really clear roles, I think everybody as a team is going to perform better and it's going to be clearer who's doing what. So that's really, really important. And then also don't forget that people, you know, people do get sick. Um, uh, unplanned events will happen. Things will pop up. Um, so have a, have, have a backup plan. Make sure that you're not scrambling around at the last minute to come up with, you know, a second option when something doesn't go right to plan. And then I think it's also really important to say, you know, during an event, 
make sure that you're supporting your colleagues. Make sure you're also seeking support from your colleagues. Now, it's really important, I think, particularly when you have a multiple day, really intense event, which is you know, tiring. You know, colleagues, you know, it's, it's really important to just say to your colleagues, how are you feeling? Um, you know, how, what can I help you with? Or is there anything that's really you're stressing you out? How can we, you know, support each other to collectively deliver this event? Um, and make sure, you know, check in on your colleagues as well. If, if, you know, you see someone who's looking particularly stressed out or you see someone in your team who, you know, is, you know, just clearly in need of a, of a five minute break to take a breath and I don't know, have a coffee or just do a little walk. That sort of stuff is really important because if you think of the, the bigger, longer term goals, supporting your colleagues is really, really important. And then after the events wrapped up, it doesn't mean that you can just, you know, forget that it ever happened. It's a great opportunity, opportunity to then look into analytics look into you know what content what content that you published during the event performed well you know which you know youtube video or blog post that you wrote what what did people respond to and then that can perhaps help you improve and um and do the next event even better and then also make sure that you're creating long tail content so content which was maybe gathered or video content particularly or, or interviews that you did during the event which weren't published during the event when can you find opportunities you know, down the track um, to resurface that content or publish it for the first time and then remind people that this event happened however long ago it was. And then the last point I'll just make quickly is thank you messages. Saying thank you to people that supported you and helped you achieve what you wanted to achieve is really important. Not only because it's nice, it's nice to be nice, but it's also a great way to include links to the content that you created, remind people that you know, you, you, you took part in an interview which has now been published. Make sure to check it out. Make sure to share it with your network because that's really how content can really gain serious traction. So I think those are sort of the, some of the main points. I know you also worked on an event uh, when you were part of the UNHCR team. And this was uh, a TED talk in one of the largest refugee camps in Kenya, Kakuma Camp. And if I'm not mistaken, this was the first time that uh, such an event uh, was put in place and it was groundbreaking initiative in many ways to bring the TED stage um, to a refugee camp and to t allow refugees or enable refugees rather to tell their own stories. So can you tell us a little bit about how that event came about? Um, what was the goal? And then we can talk a little bit more about the challenges of putting together an event of such magnitude in a camp. The, the TEDx Kakuma Camp event was, uh, it was held a few years back now, but it was a really an amazing uh, media moment. And for me, you know, a real privilege to work on an event of this scale and uh, an event which was like, as, as you said, you know, really surfacing the voices of refugees and giving them that stage to tell their stories. Um, so yeah, I think the way that it came about um, was that UNHCR colleagues um, had previously worked with TED. Um, the main person I'm thinking of is uh, Melissa Fleming, who at the time was the head of communications at the UN Refugee Agency. And in uh, 2014, she did a TEDx uh, talk in Brazil, which was um, entitled, Let's Help Refugees Thrive, Not Just Survive. And it was all about the power of refugees and the um, moment that the world was in at that time to um, uplift the voices of refugees. Um, and then that TED talk went on to have an amazing response. I think it was over, definitely well over a million views. 
Um, and um, so it's sort of the idea of having a, a TEDx event in a refugee camp was in many ways the sort of natural next step. Um, and then I think the overall goals, like you were saying, um, UNHCR does, UN, UNHCR, the refugee agency does have this um, goal across uh, many of its communications campaigns to amplify refugee voices and actually put refugee stories first. So rather than have, you know, um, necessarily um, stories about refugees and data sets about refugees, it's really hearing from the people and hearing their stories about what made them flee their homes and resettle or find, try to build a new life in, in another country. Um, and so I think this, this event was, was really um, a, very, a very smart uh, way to achieve that goal. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll just like remember, remember just thinking about it now, you know, thinking of some of the people that spoke at the the event because it wasn't it was mainly refugees who spoke at TEDx events, but the the, the TEDx Kakuma camp event. But there were also um, international experts and and artists. But like some of the refugees who got a chance to speak during the TEDx Kakuma camp event was like uh, uh, Pure Biel, who was um, a South Sudanese refugee um, who left um, left South Sudan when he was a child, and he was in Kenya for for many many years. But he had this incredible athletic talent and um, went on to compete in the um, Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro um, as part of the refugee Olympic team, the first ever team of refugees to compete at the Olympics. And I think I just remember this one thing that um, Pure, Bell, Pure Biel said um, was, um, it's not about winning gold, it's about winning the hearts of the people. And I think that was really part also he was talking there about the Olympics, but that very much is very relevant to the goals of TEDx Kakuma Camp. And some of the other people that, that kind of were given a spot on the stage were um, Amina, who was this amazing award-winning filmmaker, also a refugee, but she's from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And then also Emmy Mahmoud, who's this um, incredible um, Sudanese-American slam poet. So it was just this amazing event and it really gave... a chance for the world to actually hear from refugees i mean it definitely sounds like a very inspiring event uh showcasing the the talents and the the resilience of refugees you know in overcoming these in many cases insurmountable and hurdles in their lives right um and what they can achieve when given a chance when communities invest in them rather than fear them or think that they are there to you know that that they're a drain on resources so that's that's an amazing success in giving them that voice and that platform but this was a a live streamed event am i right yes there was a both a live audience um actually in the camp and then it was also broad uh, live broadcast um, mainly through Facebook around the world. But yeah, it was very much a live event. And what would you say were the challenges around this? Mm. I mean, there were certainly um, plenty of challenges. Um, I think one of the main things that I remember I didn't have to work on specifically, but there was a lot of conversation when we were going into this event about the logistical challenges. Um, the, the refugee camp, Kakuma camp, is like a four-day drive from the, the Kenyan capital. And those roads are, you know, bumpy roads. So 
um, getting the right equipment on the right trucks with the right um, paperwork um, from Nairobi getting up to the camp was, you know, a huge um, logistical um, challenge in and of itself. Um, but then also getting the right people to to the camp. So having access to a refugee camp is is not uh, necessarily straightforward. You do need, um, as, re- as UNHCR manages um, the camp, they are also a responsibility for the security, um, which means that access to the camp can be, um, it, it needs to go through a real proper rigorous process. And that did cause also some, some challenges. Um, one of the other things which was um, a challenge for more of the work that I was doing um, was some of the branding requirements. So, so TED is an extremely recognizable and successful brand. Um, and to put on an event like uh, like this, it did mean quite a lot of coordination between uh, UNHCR, which also has its branding requirements and standards and the right colors that it needs, for example, um, and then also the TED side of things. So there were lots of um, meetings and conversations about how can we make it clear that this is a partnership event uh, with two huge organizations, uh, but also make it you know very accessible to to people that don't that people don't need to know about um, the ins and outs. They don't need to know um, about all of those specifics, but they want the event to look um, well branded and well clearly an official event. Um, so that was definitely um, definitely a part of the planning. And then I think also just um, drumming up events, uh, drumming up sort of interest. Sorry, um, trying to find. Uh, you know, news hooks or ways to make sure that this event um, would be well attended and noticed online during, you know, a very, very busy, uh, very busy news environment as, as it always is. So those were some of the challenges. Yeah. And uh, from a commerce perspective, what was the impact overall? I think it was a huge impact, um, a really, really positive, um, positive uh, impact. Um I think one of the audiences that was really uh, targeted during this event were refugees themselves. Um, like I said, it was a chance for, for refugees to get on stage and, and tell their story. Um, and the talks were actually broadcast to about 4,000 refugees um, who were able to watch the event via these massive screens that were set up in, in the camps there in, in Kenya. Um, and I think for many of those refugees and what we heard after the event from colleagues that were working on the ground were you know, refugees that had, in some cases, been born in that camp or had lived there a long time. They got to see some of their peers um, and people that had had been through extremely difficult, um, you know, heartbreaking challenges of having to flee their home seeing them on stage telling their story about how they overcame so much to um, achieve their goals i think that really did a lot to inspire some of the people that were in that audience then i think beyond that audience group of of refugees themselves um, people around the world we know that people that tens of thousands of people um, joined the live stream um, that was of this event and these were viewers from places in the US, in Australia, uh, you know, places in Latin America, even in, in Europe. And I think that really gave a lot of visibility for this particular camp um, and the challenges that it faces. Um, but also just the fact that it's a place 
where there's over 185,000 people living in a refugee camp. That's just one of the camps around the world. And I think this event um, you know, was a great way to educate um, people that don't know about the realities of being a refugee and the challenges that refugees have to face every single day. So I think um, in the way that this event was able to reach audiences who may not ordinarily be interested or open to learning about the lives of refugees, um, this event gave them that chance. So, so that's how, kind of how the I would I would maybe say the the main main points of impact from the event were. In terms of preparation, how does the an event like Davos compare to say the one that you did in Kakuma, the TED Talk? What are the what are the commonalities in terms of preparation, and where is the point of departure, and how do you prepare for for a higher level uh, forum like Davos? Hmm. Yeah, Davos is obviously a, a very different event. So the TEDx Kakuma Camp um, event was a one-day event, whereas every year the uh, World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos is a five-day event. Um, so there's already just the a number of different speakers um, and the different themes that are being addressed and being discussed. Um, but I think maybe one of the commonalities is that, again, preparation ahead of the event and the team getting together and really thinking through, okay, it's really important that we highlight this speaker at that time to this audience in this way. I think that was some, something that you could say, I mean, I, I would say was, was quite similar. Sounds intense. Uh, five days is uh, it's a long time. And I imagine the preparation leading up to those five days is, I mean, it, it must be take a long time to prepare for this. Oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah, months and months ahead of the event, we're already thinking about, you know, what are the what are the key themes um, of uh, the meeting, the upcoming meeting? Um, obviously, who's going to be invited um, and who's who, you know, who's not going to be invited? I don't think the world was surprised during the last annual meeting, which was held um, you know, just a few months ago in May of 2022, when, uh, you know, the Russian delegations were not were not welcomed. Um but, you know, all that kind of preparation is takes time and it takes teams working together, um, planning together and coordinating together. Because the worst thing is you're trying to get, um, you know, let's say the CEO of uh, Microsoft to attend Davos. And if his team receives, um, you know, three or four invitations from different members of the World Economic Forum with different information, I mean, that is the worst case scenario. Um, you know, that team is confused. Is these the right dates? Are these the right dates? How do I RSVP? You know, those kinds of, you know, basic logistics are so, so important. Um, and making sure that um, every, all the information is clear, you know, particularly around, um, around COVID, how do you um, test? Uh, are masks required? If you, te- if you travel all the way from, I don't know, uh, Chile to Switzerland, and then you can't get into Davos because you haven't done um, a COVID test, for example, or you've tested positive. I mean, that's, you know, a really negative outcome. So yeah, there's a really a great deal of thought that goes into all that kind of preparation. And then, you know, one thing that I've actually really found um, fascinating um, about working at the World Economic Forum, um, which I, I hadn't experienced before that, is the amount of thought that goes into curating uh, roundtable discussions or panel discussions, you know, thinking through if we have a representative from this company, they would be best paired with this 
minister or prime minister or president. And then let's also make sure we have voices from civil society or from the United Nations or from another international NGO. Um, and, and the thought that goes into that and the curation is, is really, really impressive. It sounds like a massive internal coordination effort. And as you said uh, earlier on, just making sure who knows uh, who is responsible for what and making sure there is that alignment and information sharing internally before you go out externally. Absolutely crucial. Yeah, I can't can't highlight that enough. Um, the way that um, you know the organisation is represented to some of these you know really important stakeholders. Um, yeah, definitely needs coordination. It definitely needs planning. Um, and you know you just don't want um, people to feel confused or to feel like they don't have the information they need to make that decision. Do I want to take part in this event or do I not want to take part in that event? That you need to give them all of the um, the nuts and the bolts and um, help people understand where can they bring value to this global event. And that's what gets people really excited. It gets them invested and makes the whole thing a success. So Alex, this is the part where we talk about failure. I want to hear from you about a time when a strategy or a product you were working on didn't turn out the way you had um, envisaged. Oh, good one, Leila. Um, <laughs> gosh, pl- plenty of uh, <laughs> plenty of case studies where where I would say that I uh, the outcome hasn't been uh, what I had imagined. Um, let me think. Yeah, maybe if I could choose um, if I could choose one event, perhaps from uh, or one project that I worked on. I think. Um, during my time at the UN Refugee Agency, at UNHCR, um, I would choose, um, there was a project that I got to work on that was, I really enjoyed working on it. And it was um, to do with um, refugees, uh, mainly from African countries, um, but also from um, parts of the Middle East, including Syria, um, arriving into Turkey. So, Relatively speaking, to some of these uh, other countries, Turkey was receiving um, a very large number of, of refugees and welcoming them as well. Um, you know, making sure that they had um, you know certain protections, accommodation, uh, enough food, that those kinds of things, which is you know so so important. Um, I can't. I as never been a refugee myself. I can't imagine how terrifying and bewildering it it must be to arrive in a completely foreign country. Um, with literally nothing. And in some cases, refugees are arriving after being separated from their family members. You know, that might be, you know, a child or a parent. Um, so they've arrived in this completely foreign land with with nothing. And they've fled their, their home country because of, you know, conflict or significant persecution of some kind. So they're already dealing with a lot of a lot of trauma. And the project that I was working on was documenting um some of these people that were arriving and we worked with a, you know, an incredible photographer um, and he was, you know, on the ground um, in Turkey, gathering um, photos and gathering information about these people, who they were, where they fled from, um, you know, what were their hopes, um, you know, for the rest of their, their rest of their lives, really. And that was my job to receive all this information, organize it, package it and put it together into um, basically a series of photo essays and I got really you know personally invested in in this um, in this project and 
um i just was really fascinated by the by the topic um and then after working on it for you know for for months um i was you know part of the team and we were having had a meeting with you know some senior colleagues and we were told um this project has uh, you know need, needs to stop it's it's not going to be published in the end um and this was you know a decision that was you know made uh you know way above my pay grade and it was to do with you know a great deal of politics between you know between turkey and and other european countries and also the european union um and you know it was a huge it was a hugely you know political situation a hugely political time and uh when i was told that this um these photo essays that i'd been working on were not going to be published i reacted very very badly um i'm i'm embarrassed to think about it now but you know i i didn't break down in tears or shout at anybody but i made it very clear that i thought that this project should should be published and it needs to be published and um the stories of these people um who had you know fled their homes and were trying to make a new life in turkey um those stories needed to be to be published and um the person that was running the meeting you know very politely and calmly um you know made it made it clear that that wasn't an option um and then um after the meeting had ended and everybody had left he just quietly you know took me took me uh, took me aside and just you know quietly explained um you know explained the reality of the situation that um he was pleased to see me you know personally investing you know my energy and my creativity into this project but when a decision is made at the higher levels and when there are you know international politics uh involved it's it's you know <laughs> it's way above my pay grade to um you know to, to to make to make my views heard and it was a very humbling experience for sure um a bit embarrassing i'm uh, not 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 afraid to say but now when i look back on it um a really important learning mo- learning moment for me in my career um because I, it's it's happened since i mean you do sometimes uh work on a project that you really enjoy and for one reason or another it it doesn't work out it doesn't doesn't mean that that's the end of the world and um there are other interesting projects out there and sometimes you just have to um accept that the conditions are not quite right for a particular project that you've worked on to to go live and and you need to you need to you know be professional and and ultimately move on um and i think that's something that that i've taken with me um you know following following that experience is to it's okay to get invested it's a good thing in some cases to get invested in in a project and to um to give it your all kind of but if it doesn't work out for much bigger reasons that's first of all it's not a reflection at all on your performance it's not a protect it's not it's not uh it doesn't reflect the quality of the content that's been created um and it's just it's just a reality of um many different you know working environments and uh yeah so that was definitely uh maybe one one moment of failure that um I could have handled better at the time. Well, thanks for sharing that Alex. I mean, I I think it's actually not much of a failure. You, you know, you did your best on a project, uh something that you were very passionate about, but uh for reasons beyond your control, it could not um proceed as planned. And I think there as you've said it really the the key takeaway message is 
managing your emotions um there will you know there will be circumstances in all of our careers sometimes it's for some of us it's already happened for others perhaps not where you're overruled by the powers that be and you and you have to try and influence that discussion negotiate to the extent possible but uh if the if the final decision is not yours there's not much you can do really as you said there's not much maybe you can do in turning around the project but there is maybe something that you can do you know internally with your emotions and you're 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 the one that can still behave in a professional professional manner even when things don't go your way i think maybe that's that's another one of the takeaways yeah, you can control your emotions um you can only control what you have control on basically so i mean alex really thank you so much for coming on the show today i wish we had more time unfortunately we don't uh but this is really insightful stuff and i'm sure loads of our listeners we will benefit from your experiences and the tips that you have shared today so for those that want to keep in touch with you alex uh what social media channels are you most active in uh, i'm definitely most active on twitter you can follow me on twitter at court a that's at c-o-u-r-t-a and uh yeah, we'd love to hear from from your listeners, Leila, and uh, always open to, com- to to chatting about different communications challenges. Perfect. I'm sure we were. I'm sure we will hear from you once again at some point, Alex. But for now, thank you very much. Thank you, Leila.